did. Our scripture passage comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears hear. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And it helps me remember that in my New Testament or Christian scriptures class at Emory University where I attended seminary, I remember the day when the professor got into the new section of the lesson about the parables of Jesus. He posted something on his PowerPoint to start the class, and it read as follows. The parables are a beginning preacher's best friend and an experienced preacher's worst nightmare. He looked out at his class of eager wannabe clergy and went to the next slide, and on it was printed one of the parables very similar to today's. He said, this is what we're doing this week. You all are going to join teams of those around you in the classroom, and you're going to figure out what this passage means. We all kind of scoffed. It seemed pretty obvious on the surface what it meant. But as we became small groups and we journeyed through that passage over the week, we started to realize how deep and complex the parable was and how kind of awkward and strange and nuanced in endless ways. We found so many layers of complexity that we ended the week stunned by the difficulty of the parable. The parables of Jesus are a beginning preacher's best friend and an experienced preacher's worst nightmare. One thing that makes these parables, these stories, nightmares for preachers is popular, online, kind of superficial, immediate readings of the text. This is because they don't get to the depth of what it means. The parables are intended to be puzzles. They're part of a genre of Hellenistic or Greek literature known as parables as teaching devices. These are what philosophers or teachers would give to their followers to help them learn something new. If the only interpretation you can find is the superficial, easy beginning one, be suspicious. It simply doesn't fit the historical character of these stories. The parable of the sower, the one we just read, is especially susceptible to this. Scholars see, however, that it's actually probably the center point of the entire Gospel of Matthew, upon which the entire rest of the Gospel is built. Unfortunately, this depth is often lost. If you do a Google search for the parable of the sower, here is what Christianity.com has to say. First, there is the hard heart, the seed that falls along the roadside, This represents people who hear the word of God, but never really believe. Then there is the shallow heart, the seed that falls away on stony ground. 
This signifies the people who hear the word of God and receive it with joy, but they're too busy to sustain it. Then there is the seed that falls on the ground where the weeds choke out its growth. Slowly and surely, these people get distracted by riches and cares and lose interest in God. Then there is the fruitful heart that receives the word. The seed falls on good ground and a rich harvest is found. This is the easy reading of this parable that basically says that some people are lucky enough to be born as good soil and everyone else is doomed because they are full of birds, weeds, heat, or crusty soil. I find it quite defeatist. It brings up pastoral care trauma issues and theological problems of worthiness, sin, value, self-worth, and the universal access to the love of God. This is a passage that has been used to classify people like types of dirt, like types of soil, into those that are suitable for God's planting of grace, love, abundance, blessing, and compassion, and everyone else. If you are the right kind of soil, then you get blessing. If you're any of these other kinds of soil, well, then you're just out of luck. Too bad. Try again. Nice try. Maybe next time, next life. But the thing is, friends, what is good soil anyway? The fact about soil is it depends on what you're trying to grow. The idea, is that, the idea that there is good soil and bad soil is empirically incorrect from a scientific perspective. It is all about context and choices. Now, are any of you here those hardy souls who consider themselves the gardeners of New England? Any of you gardeners? I know we have some, some folks up here who garden. You are brave souls. I love gardening, and for many of us, it is synonymous with summers and childhood memories of being conscripted into weeding. Today, driving around Fairfield, you can pass yards strewn with rhododendron and lilies and lavender. The flowers and veggies are plentiful. It's actually this that actually helped draw me. The church in Guilford that recruited me to Connecticut liked to say, you know the bishops are members here, meaning bishops' orchards. You know, so you get special apple-picking privileges as clergy. Quite, quite a perk. But basically, I didn't know how difficult it was until I bought my own piece of land in Milford two years ago, and I tried to plant a shrub. Do you know what I found? Rocks. Lots and lots of rocks. And then I found roots, which were even harder to get removed than the rocks. The rocks and stones that make our landscape here in New England, especially New Hampshire know about rocks and stones too, right? It also makes it incredibly challenging for gardening. If you're a New England gardener, you are a particularly determined human being. Like our soils of New England, I think that good soil comes in many forms theologically, and it takes context work and knowledge and an art to understand. There are always rocks to remove from our soil before it is suitable for gardening or farming. We all have work to do. Nobody is born as perfect soil. And none of us is less worthy of God's love or presence. We must deconstruct this parable and how it's been used to classify people into good and bad 
as a weapon of faith. So let's take this parable apart. Why don't we? All right, you ready? All right, part one. Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Did you know that there's an entire species of trees that depends on birds eating their seeds for survival? The Audubon Society writes on the topic. Some might not realize the tangible value of birds, but it would be foolish to underestimate how tough life would be without them. In the high mountains of the American West, there's a tree called the white bark pine that both humans and other animals have come to rely on. Its large seeds feed grizzlies and black bears, and because the pines grow all the way up on the tree line, they are effective at protecting drinking water supplies. The tree's seeds are dispersed by one species of bird, the Clark's nutcracker, a black and white winged cousin to the crow. The nutcracker's long, sturdy beak opens the pine cones to pluck out the seeds, which it eats or stores in its throat. It then buries the uneaten seeds at the exact depth and location that the trees need to reproduce. What would happen if we didn't have the Clark's nutcracker? In the case of the essential for wildlife and drinking water whitebark pine, it is unlikely that it would survive. Birds and trees, many examples share a symbiotic relationship the plant and the bird need each other. If you are the soil that is blessed enough to have the seeds fall that the birds come to eat off of and distribute those seeds, then you are soil that is helping sustain others. You're an essential part of the web of life. Sometimes in life we are the hard soil, and that's okay. We're a landing place for others and facilitators of God's presence. God has a place for us, and we are needed too. Part two. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. Did you know, and many of you probably do as New England gardeners, that many plant species actually prefer rocky or shallow soil to deep, rich, wet soil? Aloe aloe verde, baby's breath, black-eyed Susan, cacti, yucca, sage, apple trees, by the way, hazelnut, lavender, rosemary, oregano, and thyme, and nearly 70 other varieties of plants prefer rocky soil over thick, rich, perfect soil. One source puts it this way. If your gardening area has rocky soil, you can choose to use what you've got and plant plants that flourish in rocky areas. You're going to work with what you have. If you are the soil that is blessed enough to have rocks in it and under it, you're a solid person. You may be a little bit skeptical of some of this theology business, but you show up anyway. You may also be a spiritual specialist with a keen focus in your ministry area. Not all ministries are for you. You know what you want to do. While you may not work in as many places as others, The blossoming and blooming where God plants you is intentional and flourishing. Friends, we are also the hard soil full of rocks under which the New England bedrock is formed. And God has a place for us too, and that's okay. Part three. 
But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Did you know that many varieties of conifer trees require not only the heat of the sun, but full-fledged forest fires to open to allow new growth to come? How many of you remember those pictures of the great Yellowstone fire in the 90s when they almost uh, lost the big hotels around um, Old Faithful? Anyone remember the big fire? But since then, if you go to Yellowstone, you'll see all of the new growth forest coming in. As a Coloradan, somebody from Colorado, we knew a great secret, those of us who love wildflowers. Guess where you went to find the most beautiful wildflowers in the spring? You would go to the same place where the big wildfires had been, the wildfires for the wildflowers. Does that make sense? We know that this matters. If you're the soil that has been scorched by the sun, you are still part of God's beloved. You are primed for new flowers and new growth as never seen before. If your soul is scorched and you're starting over, God is with you too. We are the, we are the wildflowers as well of the dormant seeds of imagination. Part four. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up around them. Do you know how many plants we consider to be weeds that are actually native that we have tried to get rid of since colonial era in Connecticut? Or how many plants that are considered weeds have medicinal or nutritional value? There's a town in the mountains of Colorado near Aspen called Carbondale where the dandelion is the town flower and it is illegal to pick them. I don't think Fairfield's going to do this anytime soon, are they? No. <laughs> Maybe Darianne will try it. No. Weeds are simply the plants that don't fit in the plan or the place. They are the outcasts, ignored for their natural qualities of health, place, and beauty. If you are the soil that is full of weeds, then you might be more of a holistic person. You think outside the plot and planting beds of pews and church buildings. You see God in everyone and everywhere. Perhaps you're a spiritual seeker, or you're a person who welcomes God's plants to your yard and your garden. You prefer wildflowers over manicured perfect image. You sound like my congregation back in Colorado. We are hard soil filled with weeds, the forgotten and the misunderstood, and God has a place for that kind of soil too. And then there's other seeds fell on the good soil, brought forth grain a hundredfold, now, here's the thing about good soil. Do you think there's only one kind of good soil? Did you know that Iowa has 90% of America's best-rated soil? And the Iowa Agricultural Society says there are 450 different types of soil in Iowa alone. If you are the soil that is good for planting, then you're still a mystery of biodiversity and need and possibility in, that needs serious care and attention. Also, if you are the soil that is ready for planting, then you are called on to help feed the world. Your work isn't done just because you have one good crop. But there is a warning for those of you with good soil. We don't want to burn you out. Churches like to plant and plant and plant and plant and replant tasks with those who seem to say yes over and over and over again until their soil is depleted of nutrients. We must take care of you 
and make sure that you're properly nurtured and that we don't overplant you so that all the spiritual nutrients are washed away. We are rich soil full of plants, but the rich soil has a risk. We run the risk of being burnt out by overuse. But God has a place for us too. I will never forget my New Testament Christian scriptures class at Emory, where my professor dramatically announced that the parables are a beginning preacher's best friend and an experienced preacher's worst nightmare. When you dig a little deeper into the reality, we know that even Jesus knew there were many different kinds of soil. He traveled across Israel. Israel is a diverse topography. And there are so many different kinds of plants and different kinds of soil. And all of us can be different kinds of soil at different parts of our lives. Even the birds are sometimes here and needed. And the fire is needed. And the heat is needed for different kinds of plants. May we all embrace whatever soils we identify as this phase of life and learn to nurture the soil and celebrate the bounty brought by another. This life, this growing season, friends, is very short and winter is always coming. Let us grow together while we can. Amen. We now join in.